Well, before, um, before we go any further, I wanted to just let you know that we are going to have a guest preacher this morning. John alluded to that. Uh, we have the privilege of hearing from Antoine Mays. Many of you know Antoine. He's a native Eldorado, Eldoradoan. I don't know if that's how you say that. Um, but we've been asking the question, like, how do we see outside of ourselves? We get so stuck in our own worlds and our own houses and our own communities that there's a great big kingdom that God is active in. And so we've looked globally, and now we're kind of looking um, more locally. And what is God doing in our midst? And how do we um, break out of any type of cycles that we're in that keep us stuck in a place where God would not have us? God is always calling us to grow and go and follow. And so we, um, Eric and Antoine, have partnered together several times with El Dorado Youth Events, and Antoine's had the opportunity to share um, his heart, share the gospel message to students, and he has felt led to preach. And um, we say, hey, God, are you uh, stirring within people in our community who you want to share the word of God? And we believe that Antoine has a word for us today that no one else has been gifted or called to give it except for him. And so if you would join me in welcoming Antoine Mays. For those of you who do not know me, and it blows my mind that people don't still, it's weird. Uh, my name is Antoine Mays. I have been born and raised in this town. I have a very unique, uh, how, do I, how do I say that? I have a very unique vision of the town. I get to see both sides of things. Um, I have, first of all, I am a son. My mother is at church somewhere else. She didn't want to come today, but that's fine. Uh, I am a husband. I have four kids who are 15, 12, I got to think for a second, nine, and four. My youngest one just turned four yesterday. On top of all of that, I coach football at the high school. What's up, Rob? Rob's one of the other coaches. And on top of all of that, I still do some youth stuff. Now, here's the key. I'm busy a lot. And the thing is, how do I sleep? And the answer is I don't. I really don't. I, I, I stay busy because I like being busy. And if I'm not busy, my sanity goes crazy. But I am going to talk to you guys today, and hopefully the way we do this will be kind of unique, and you'll see something from a different perspective. Now, I have fun when I do this, so I don't want you to get tight. There's going to be some aspects of this sermon that's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but I promise you we'll get through it. Everyone okay with that? Before we start, let's pray real quick. Spirit of the living God, we ask your presence today. I leave myself in the back room. I ask that the words we've spoken today are from you and that your people hear what you want them to hear. Father, you know the needs of this city, you know the needs of this church and each person individually, and I ask that you bless them with what they need and bless them with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so like I said, I have a unique vision of church and the aspects of those things. I'm a church kid. I grew up, 
grew up in church all my life. In fact, from the time I was born until I was 18, I can count on one hand how many Sundays I missed, which is three. And I only missed three Sundays because my great-grandfather was sick on those three Sundays. Our rule in the house was if he was well, we had to go to church. And luckily for us, he lived till he was 94. So he was well a lot of Sundays. But the thing that I struggle with the most sometimes is how the church can be so connected yet so divided. It's really weird because this whole thing was formed by one person and 12 disciples. And it, it, was, it started so small, but it was access with everyone. And somewhere in the last 2,000 years, we've kind of split it. And that, to me, is frustrating because it's not one anymore. Somehow it got split. Now, we all know the phrases black church and white church. And having been in both, I have to tell you this. It's, it's kind of funny. There's not a difference. There really is no difference. Now, yes, black church, we have a little bit more rhythm, but don't let that distract you guys from the fact that it's not different. We do. It's, it's funny. We clap on beat. But the, the, the thing is, it's the same. Why do we go out of our way to make it different? I'm going to give you something you didn't think about, and I didn't think about it until I was talking to Amber this week. White church music, when it's in its own genre, is Christian music. Black church music, when it's in its own genre, is gospel music. Now, here's the key. They're the same songs. Why do we purposely split it? I haven't figured out that answer yet. I'm going through this whole little transformation thing because my idea of church is a huge multi-ethnic church with a bunch of people in here from different backgrounds, different ages, different social economic standings, and they're all serving the same God because they understand that the same blood someone else needs is the same one I need. And that's the thing I struggle with because when I look out, it's not what I see. But we stay safe. We stay in our own little boxes because that's what we know. We know that to be safe. We know that to be okay. And we stay there. Now, I want you guys to understand a phrase, not a phrase, but a quote that happened here. This quote is from a very, very famous person. I think that it is one of the tragedies of the nation that 11 a.m. on Sundays is the most segregated hour in America. Anyone know who that's from? That would be from Dr. King. And that quote was, that quote 
was from 1960. 1960. What is that? I'm struggling with math. Is that 59 years ago? 59 years ago. The most segregated hour is 11 a.m. on Sundays. Now, we have done a lot of cool things since then. We have progressed a lot, except for that aspect. It is still one of the most segregated hours in America. And the question is, why? If we've progressed so much, why is it still the most segregated hour? Now, I do understand that we have progressed a lot, and that's amazing. That's awesome. But I want you to think of something real quick. This is really cool. The Civil Rights Movement was in 1960. Black people in this country got their full civil rights in the 60s. I'm 33 years old, which means my parents were born in the 50s, which in turn means I'm part of the first generation of my family born in this country with their full civil rights. See, these are things we don't think about. We think we say those things that slavery was so long ago. Why do we have to worry about that stuff? Well, here's the thing. I'm one generation removed from being a full citizen, and I'm only 33. Now, here's the question. Why do we talk about this in church? Why do we bring this up with a place where we're supposed to be serving God? The reason we bring this up here is because we as the church have dropped the ball. It's plain and simple. We've dropped the ball on this whole thing. We preach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday about a God who is inclusionary and a God who will meet us where we are, yet our congregations don't reflect that. We've dropped the ball because in the 60s, when four little girls were bombed at a church, those men who did that bombing left church to go do it. We dropped the ball because a few years ago, Dylan Ruth walked into a African-American church with an assault rifle, a place of worship, a place where we're supposed to be safe, and did harm. Now, I told you this is going to be a little tough, but my goal in this whole thing is for you to see yourself through another lens. Does that make sense? Here we go. Check this out. We're going to go today... To Luke 10, uh, we're going to start at verse 25. Now, this is really, really a familiar story. Um, let me find it here. I can paraphrase this thing, but I want to give it to you the way it's written in here. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law, and how do you interpret it? Listen to his response. This is great. You must, love the, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, with all your strength, 
with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? I'm going to come back to this in just a second. That's a funny question. Who is my neighbor? We do a great job at loving God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our spirit. We do a terrible job at loving our neighbors as ourselves. Because if we really did, we'd be way more forgiving of people. It's the honest answer. You know how you're really forgiving of yourself? Honestly, seriously, if you're trying to lose weight and you eat ice cream late at night, you'll think, I'll just make it up later. Funny, but it's true. If you were that forgiving as other people, how much different would this life be? It's seeing yourself in someone else that is the key with all of this. I love Jesus' response to the lawyer because he really doesn't even answer him. That's really, really cool. Jesus says, a certain man came down from Jerusalem. Now, that would indicate to us that he is Jewish, which the lawyer also is. He says, he fell amongst thieves who stripped him, wounded him, and left him half dead. Then he says, a priest walked by. Priest, your pastors people in positions of moral authority, saw him and passed by on the other side. Then he said, a Levite came by, saw the man also, and passed by on the other side. Then the good Samaritan. How many people have heard this story before? It's great, isn't it? The good Samaritan saw him, got down off his beast, poured in the oil and the wine, took him to the innkeeper's house, and then gave the innkeeper two days' wages to pay for everything that that guy went through. Why does that story hold so much weight with me? Because you have to understand the times. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They did not like each other. They were separated in their thinking, in their ideology, in how they saw the world. They were separated. In fact, when they got ready to insult Jesus, they called him a Samaritan. So they didn't like each other. So then why does Jesus use the Samaritan in the story? He used, I think he uses it for a great reason. Have you ever been, when you're in trouble and things are going crazy, have you ever been shocked at who didn't help you? I mean, the people that you've done everything for. You were always there for them, and then when you need the help, they weren't there. We get caught in our little tribes here. 
and we think things are safe. And that's what Jesus was showing the lawyer. The lawyer would assume, since he was Jewish, that the Levite would have helped him. They're from the same family. I mean, we, we, we think the same way, but he doesn't. He would assume the priest would help him, but he doesn't. It takes somebody who he would have thought at the beginning of that story wasn't a good neighbor that actually was neighborly. Now, here's the thing. I love that story because you have a bunch of Jewish people in the story and then the Samaritan. Imagine for yourself, if the story comes alive to you, what it felt like for that Samaritan to be around that vicinity, knowing people don't really like you, and you're just passing by. I have the privilege to be one of the football coaches at the high school, and it's fun, and I love working with those kids, and it's great. I also happen to be one black voice in a room full of white people. Sometimes it's frustrating because it feels like I'm dismissive or I'm being dismissed and my opinions don't count. Now, you guys, I'm sure, have been lucky enough never to have that situation happen to you. But again, check this out. One black voice in a room. See where I'm going with this here? We've got to figure out a way to be more inclusive and to understand that this side isn't always bad. There's nothing to be fearful of. If you can understand and see yourself in someone else, that, I think, is the key to loving your neighbor. If we really did love our neighbors as ourselves, then whenever, don't get uncomfortable, whenever a police shooting would happen, it wouldn't be the black church speaking out about it. And I know you guys don't think about these things, but ironically, it's always us speaking out about it. My mother was very involved in civil rights, and so was my father. And she taught me something that I think is valuable. The civil rights movement didn't change with us getting beat up, dogs sicked on us, all those things. It was still kind of par for the course. What changed was Philadelphia, Mississippi. Because there were two teenage white kids who were hung. And when that happened, America said, whoa, 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 we can't do this. We can't have this happen. I say that because America, for a second, saw themselves in those teenagers, but didn't see themselves for the years and years and years prior to that heartbreaking. But it's real. I 
again, the church has dropped the ball. We've created this line of a black church and a white church when the church was created to be one church. And if we get back to that, imagine what we can accomplish. Imagine how much this room would change if there was more diversity. Imagine how your world would change if there was more diversity in it. Seeing the world from someone else's point of view isn't bad. It's just a different way to see it. And there's value in that person's view of the world. But it requires you to step out of your bubble and see it from someone else's point of view. Or in turn, loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's your takeaways. I'm one voice in a single room. What do you listen to when you're at home? What do you watch when you're, on, when you're watching TV? If you can get outside of yourself and see it from a different perspective, open-minded. My opinion of the world is valid, the same way yours is. But again, sometimes we stay in our boxes and we don't see the other side of it. I want you to analyze what you're listening to and how you see them, and what you think about them. Take a moment this week and step out of yourself and try to see it from a different perspective. Maybe it'll change the way you see things. Or maybe it won't. But the key is you'll try. And the Bible tells us God will bless what we do. It's the action that matters. Try it and see how it changes you. Let's pray. Father, the word can sometimes be uncomfortable to hear. But it's the word nonetheless. You tell us that the word will either draw us or drive us. Hopefully it drives us closer to you, closer to a universal church, one of all different denominations, one of all different races, all different ages, one that reflects your glory on this earth. Father, we know that sometimes things can be hard, but you ask us to see ourselves in each other, that we be more forgiving more loving, more kind. And that's what we will strive to do this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say? Thank you.